0: To him that we were going through, we're preaching our Advent series through Handel's Messiah. Um, we're not going to play any music this morning. Um, some of y'all may be rejoicing. Maybe not like that particular music. Uh, I don't know what it, is it about. Like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big opera. I'm not like listening to Italian opera like by myself or anything. But I think it's the instrumental music that I just really enjoy, like jazz music and classical music. And I just for something there's something soothing about. Handel's Messiah and other music like that, so um, that's kind of the, one of the reasons why I like it. But so we're going to be uh, starting here in Luke chapter chapter two, and again we're going to be kind of bouncing around to different passages, um, focusing on different themes. I'm going to read Luke two, and then I'm going to pray for us. We're still in part one of Handel's Messiah. We're kind of in the last, uh, scene four and scene five. Uh, next week we'll be in part two, but uh, this is kind of the, the, the birth. This is the history of Christ's advent, starting in Luke chapter two and verse eight. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord and suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Verse 11, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloth." "...lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host... ...praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased." Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another... ...hey, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he laid in the manger... When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I praise you, Lord, for this beautiful morning to... Even though it's cold, Lord, but we thank you for the sunshine, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for the Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for the music we get to listen to and the decorations we get to put in our house and the lights we get to to put on our house. Just the things like that, Lord, that bring us joy. and, And we thank you for warm drinks and parties and cookies and other things, Lord, that we tend to eat more of during this time. Lord, we thank you for that. They do bring joy to our hearts. Lord, we we have so much to be thankful for. We have so many things to praise you for, Lord. We thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what he has done in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that he has uh, reconciled us to you, Lord. He has brought us peace. Not some some untangible peace, Lord, but a peace, Lord, that we are reconciled to God himself. And also reconciled with each other. We thank you that's, that's what Christ did. That's what he accomplished, Lord. Lord, we pray for people in our church, Lord. We pray for, for students who are taking exams. Lord, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, alleviate stress, Lord, that they would trust in you, they would, that they would trust their futures in your hands, Lord. Lord, I pray for, for teachers who are trying to get things done before Christmas break. I pray for them and pray, Lord, that you would give them rest and, Lord, that you would give them joy and gladness as they look forward to time off. They, like for other people who look forward to time off from work, Lord, time with family and friends. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give them motivation and just uh, eagerness, Lord, to finish the year well. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are, who are going through relational difficulties, Lord, work difficulties, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your peace would be upon them, that you would give them your love. They would trust, Lord, in your love and your faithfulness in their lives. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, this is uh, uh, the Lottie, Lottie Moon uh, uh, Christmas offering that goes on this year, Lord. I pray, Lord, for our missionaries that are, that are away from family. I pray for missionaries who are, who are doing uh, your work, Lord, in different places, Lord. Who, that places that don't even celebrate Christmas. So They don't get to take advantage of the, the music and the smells and the sounds sometimes, Lord. I pray for them. It's a difficult time to be away from family and to be across different cultures and different nations, Lord. We pray for them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would take care of them, Lord. I pray that you would use us to help them, Lord. I pray that you would give them fruitful ministry. I pray that many would come to know Jesus Christ through their ministry, Lord. Lord, we pray for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us through your word, that we would rely more on you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I didn't mention this, but uh, next Sunday and the th- Sunday after that, we're going to be taking up the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas Offering, which is an offering that the Southern Baptist Convention does every year that goes directly to missionaries. It's the one offering a year that goes directly to the missionaries on the field. There's no uh, administrative. Uh, it's not like, it's like 30% of it's going and all this is going to administrative, like a lot of things do, but but this is 100% of it goes to uh, overseas missions. Um, and so that's something maybe you and your family could pray about, how you can be a part of that. None of that money going to stay here in Redeemer. It's all going to go to the work going across, uh, you know, the mission work that's going uh, to different parts of the world. So just want to encourage you with that. There's uh, some bulletins in the back, on that back table, and it gives you some information about the IMB, International Mission Board, about our missionaries, uh, ways that you can pray for them. And um, I'm not sure if it talks about the Lottie offer, maybe a little bit. So um, just grab one of these. There are a bunch of them on that back table and take that home with you. So we're going to finish up part one of Handel's Messiah. Uh, This is scene four and five. Um, And it starts off here in Luke chapter two. And kind of the, as I said, it's kind of the history of the advent, right? It's the the birth story, right? This This is the book of Luke, which we talked about last year in this passage. This is Luke's historical account of how Jesus was brought into the world, his actual birth. Of course, I, I, when I was reading this, I was, remind, I was remembering, I think they use this in Charlie Brown's Christmas when they read this story. I can't remember which one. I bet you, uh, maybe one of you remember the exact uh, character from the, the cartoon that reads this story during the Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, but they read that Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20, the history of Jesus' coming into the world. So kind of the main idea of our, of our, of our sermon today is you should celebrate, rejoice, That Christ came into the world with meekness and gentleness to take your burden and give you relief from the law. That's kind of our main idea. So kind of an introduction, a cold opening to all this is, you know, I wanted to talk about, because I think sometimes when we talk about the birth of Christ or the Advent, that we can almost just talk about the history of the event and never actually talk about how it affects our lives today. Uh, we could just talk about door to the world, which is great, or come all ye faithful. We can talk about Emmanuel, God with us, we can talk about what that, that theme means, we can talk about the story, but never really get into the meat of what it all means to us in our day and age. Like when the shepherds saw the angels, they saw uh, the baby Jesus in the manger, it really impacted their lives, right? They were full of joy, they were they were full of wor- they were worshiping God. I can't remember the last time hearing just the story of Jesus' birth that I'd ever like screamed out in worship because I feel like it's so separated from us, right? It's 2,000 years in the past when this event happened and we tend to not show how his coming in the world affects our lives today and how it affects certain issues that are going on in our life today. And I want to talk about anxiety. And anxiety is a huge issue in our culture today. There was a, a New York Times article that I read that was a few years ago, but it was this really long uh, kind of essay on the issue today, and especially amongst teenagers and college students or early 20s or 20-somethings, and how they struggle with anxiety. It says that um, uh, and, and actually children, little, like, even children in like uh, even, even younger than middle school struggle with anxiety. And actually, one-eighth of children have have a mental health disorder of anxiety. Even children are taking anti-anxiety drugs. Young as 11 years old are taking anti-anxiety drugs today. This New York Times magazine, it was called, Why are more American teenagers than ever suffering from severe anxiety? The American College of Health Association reported that 62% in 2016 uh, were dealing with anxiety. And that went up from, from 50% in 2011. So we went up 12% in five years. And they were reported, undergrads reported, they, they felt overwhelmingly anxious or they had overwhelming, overwhelming anxiety. The Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA says that in, in eight, 1985, 18% of incoming college freshmen reported that they felt overwhelmed about all they had to do, 18%. In 2010, the number increased to 29%. In 2016, it surged to 41%. 41% of incoming freshman college students say they feel overwhelmed by all what they have to do. So there's an extreme surge of this feeling of anxiety. Anxiety has become the most common mental health disorder in the United States today, affecting nearly one-third of both adolescents and adults, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, struggle with Anxiety. Anxiety affects the poor and the rich kids, right? It's not because the thought was, well, you have anxiety because you come from a poor family and therefore you lack so much. You lack food, you lack uh, uh, um, clothing, you lack certain other things. Therefore, you're worried about the future. Even rich kids who grow up in rich families who have no sense of want still struggle with anxiety. So it affects poor and the rich, the economic issues or conditions are not the only cause of anxiety today. Many kids and students struggle with anxiety from perfectionistic, perfectionistic expectations from external agents, meaning that they feel like the people around them are demanding that they be perfect in everything that they do. They feel they are, are not measuring up to the expectations around you, but many also struggle with anxiety from internal factors. They're not even externally, where their parents or Peers are are kind of looking at them and saying they have to measure up to a certain standard. But even internally, people, people are struggling with anxiety. One is the obsession with good grades, college entrance, or job prospects, this fear of misstepping leading to failure. If they fail a test or fail a class or don't get into a particular school or grad school, they won't be able to get the job they want or desire, and if they don't reach it, then they're failures, and they're going to live on the streets or something like that. The second is this concern of being perceived by peers in the right light. The chief source of this internal factor is social media, right? When, when they see pictures and they want to look a certain way, or they see peers experiencing things that they would like to experience, or they see uh, a peer celebrating an accomplishment that they obviously don't think they can accomplish that, therefore they feel this sense of internal anxiety, Anxiety is everywhere. The strategy for anxiety is avoidance, right? Avoiding what makes them anxious. Avoiding what makes them uncertain and discomfort. If you are concerned about people's perspective of you, your tendency is not to be around people, right? I'm not going to go to the party, even though I probably would have a good time because I'm afraid what people may think of me, so therefore I'm going to avoid it. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Or they're so worried about a class that they'll actually not go to class or not do the, the assignment out of fear that they would fail in the assignment, act. And, and so there's this sense that the way that fix anxiety is just to avoid it, to avoid discomfort. If anxiety could talk, it would say, "You know, let's just go out of get out of here. We don't have to do this." Many are filled with this this this, uh, this, this that worries them that they that he or she might not be good enough. Deb- this debilitating worry that he or she might not be good enough. Many of you also struggle with anxiety in some degrees. I may argue that we all struggle in some degrees with anxiety of some sorts, maybe more some more than others. I mean, I even asked myself this week, how do I struggle with anxiety? What, what are some things that I'm anxious about? You know, I at some time avoid hard, deci- hard discussions. I don't like to have hard discussions. And so therefore, out of a fear of having uh, hard discussions, I'll avoid hard discussions at times. Concerned about people's perception of my work, and so a tendency is not to, not to get started in procrastinating work because I'm afraid what people may think of it and my people's perception of it, so it disables me in some ways. There was a, a book that was turned into a Netflix show called 13 Reasons Why, and it was about a story of a girl named Hannah who committed suicide, and it, and it presented 13 Reasons Why uh, and through this audio diary that documented despair from bullying and betrayal, So this idea of anxiety and despair led her to suicide. A lot of people are struggling with this, and that's why the show was so popular, because so many people are struggling with anxiety. So many relate to this burden of anxiety and depression and despair, and they don't know how to fix it, and so the only way that they feel like they can fix it is just avoid life, in a sense, avoid relationships, avoid things that they're afraid they're going to fail in. There's no sense of relief. There's no sense of rest. There's no sense of any comfort whatsoever, just pain and despair and anxiety. The history of Christ's advent is presented here in Luke chapter 2, 8 to 20. We see in scene, this scene 4 in Handel's Messiah that we, see, uh, that we see some shepherds in the region of Bethlehem saying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, these Shepherds, we the, the 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 work the work or the or the occupation of shepherds is somewhat common in the Bible. We, Daniel David was a shepherd. We don't know a lot of information about shepherds. We just know that they, you know, they tend to their flock. But at that time, they were a despised class of people. They were seen as unreliable. They're actually, their testimony in court would not, would not be something that would be withheld in court. It would be something that would be uh, inadmissible in court, the actual witness or testimony of a shepherd in court. Because they were just seen as unreliable. They were seen as, in a sense, if you've been to India, they're like the untouchables. They're like certain minority groups in America. They're just, they're just not, they're despised. People look down upon them. People look down upon the shepherds. They had a difficult job. I mean, they had to tend to flocks. Here's the problem with tending to flocks. Your crop or your your resources is something that you have to watch over because it can easily be eaten. It can be easily stolen. And so these guys were pretty tough, pretty rough type of people. They had difficult jobs. They were unreliable. They were despised. They were seen as unsuitable men. And yet, the angel of the Lord appears to them. This this announcement of Jesus' birth is not... Is that proclaimed in the courts of the king? It's not is that is that is that is that, uh, is that proclaimed in the temple where the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leaders were, it was announced to these shepherds on a hill. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened, as if God was speaking to them. I mean, hence the 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 the, the imagery here. I mean it was it was scary, they were terribly frightened by what they experienced, it was as if God was literally speaking to them, yet God reveals this information, this announcement of Christ's birth into the world to shepherds. Their sins are on high alert to receive the message to come. And the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They proclaim good news Of great joy. A Savior is born. Great joy is in the Savior being born. This this one who who has came, who is a new king, he is going to reconcile people to God. That God's love, that Christ's Father's love would be given to them. There would be a sense of peace on their mind, tranquility to their minds. They rejoice in the salvation that comes through Christ. That, that Christ's salvation, that the salvation that this Savior would bring would be comp- compensate for all the pain, distress, and anxieties of the present life. That whatever you're struggling with, even if you're just a shepherd tending flock, today is a good day because Christ has come. Rejoice, celebrate, Christ is here. And these are just shepherds, right? They, what would they have to be joyful about? They're not rich. They don't have great wealth they rejoicing in this announcement that Christ has come, that the Father's love has come to them. And they rejoice. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's peace, the blessings of God are on those whom he is well pleased. And he shows his blessing to the shepherds of all people. It says that when they went to Bethlehem, they saw Jesus in the manger, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. So what they had seen and what they had heard, they, rejo- they left rejoicing, celebrating, praising, glorifying God for what they had seen. The shepherds rejoiced, they celebrated, what they witnessed encouraged them. They were encouraged by what they saw. It gave them hope, it gave them rest from their troubles. For God has come and salvation from sin is here. Deliverance is coming. A new king will reign. And that is a good thing. They saw that as a great thing and they celebrated. They rejoiced. As if we would celebrate anything going on in our life. A child being born or being married. Something that we see as something we celebrate and you have joy over. They had that same feeling when they saw Christ. They rejoiced. They walked away celebrating what they saw. So I'm going to show some Old Testament uh, passages that kind of explain a little bit of the joy that they experienced. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. If you have a Bible and you can find Zechariah, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah, Malachi, chapter 9, verse 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with Jesus' birth? Well, there's this, this prophecy and this, uh, this encouragement to the people of Israel to have joy. To shout and rejoice greatly for a king is coming. So when we think about, I don't know when the last time you celebrated something, right? Like, like That something happened either in your life or you were a part of something that caused you to celebrate. Every time I think of this... Um, I think about, and Lisa will remember this because I don't think she was in the band that year. But there was a year where uh, Tennessee—we always struggled to beat Florida. It was like, something we always struggled to do. But our junior year, Florida came to Knoxville. It was my—it was our junior year, and we won on like a fifty-yard field goal. Like that was the end of the game. The, the kicker kicked the fifty-yarder to win it. And just—and you, when you see people just celebrating, I mean, I'm talking about like. like men hugging other men who don't even know each other, that kind of joy. I mean, that, that's like one of those things where you're not thinking, you're just doing, and because you just don't care. You're so happy, right? Um, I, I, in, I didn't vote for President Obama, but I would think that those who did vote for President Obama celebrated quite uh, joyously when he won and celebrating in the streets that uh, a, we had a black president, right? And for a lot of people, that meant so much. There was a, tears of joy, and we 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 think about that's what we're being it's bringing promise here. When Jesus comes, there should be this joyous rejoicing and celebration for what has come, what has inspired that Christ Jesus the Messiah has come. When you have this joy, when you have this rejoicing, there's a sense where tension and worry are then gone away, and, and there's a release of joy. Right? You're not worried about anything the day that your child is born, right? Maybe the day after or the day before, but the day of, you don't, you're not worried about it. You're just happy, right? You're full of joy. All the worry and the anxiety that led up to that moment is then gone away with, and all that was released is joy. This, that's when we think about joy. I mean, this king is coming. We should be joyful. We should rejoice greatly in that this king is coming. He will be just. He will be endowed with salvation. He will be humbled. He'll be a humble king. What king or president is humble, right? I mean, uh, that's not even a thing you think of. You don't want a humble king. You don't want a humble president. But yet, Christ will be humble. It even says that He'll be mounted on a donkey. This is something promised in Genesis forty nine eleven that, that, the, that the, the, the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that the kingship will come through, that He will He will be uh, He will come on a donkey. This is His humble, this servant oriented kingship. It made me think of that the donkey, right? When the, when the president of the United States comes into your town, I, I remember when uh, there were people that took pictures of uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, when he came in town on his Air Force One, like they saw the plane. That means, I mean, when that big blue plane comes to your town, man, talk about power, right? I mean, he's, he's flying in style. He's got a 747. He can basically run the whole country from an airplane. But this is a very powerful plane. It shows a lot of power. But yet Jesus is coming in on a donkey, how humbled. It'd be like President of the United States coming into your town on a prop plane, on a single engine prop plane, that's not going to be something that's going to draw much attention. That's going to be something that's going to seem as too humble, too, too unpa- not a lot of strength being projected. But Christ is mounted on a donkey. He has actually his actual he has actual strength, not decoration or props that make him seem great. He is great. And this king will bring an end to all wars. He will speak peace to the nation. His dominion will be from sea to sea. He will have a global kingdom. All will be impacted by Christ. People will want to, as you see in Zechariah 8, 20 through 23, they will want to seek the Lord. All the nations will want to seek him. They will want his favor. They will beg Israel to take them to see this king, to see the Lord. Joy is there. They recognize that all joy is in the presence of God. And so, therefore, they want to be with God. They want to be with this king. They want to be in the same kingdom as this king. Because he is the great king. He is the humble king. He is the king of all strength and power. He will bring into all wars. I want to be a part of that kingdom. People will beg to be a part of his kingdom. Because all recognize that rest and relief and peace are in Christ. We see in Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, this is the next passage, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, this continual um, uh, announcement of joy and rejoicing, 35, 5 through 6, this whole, really that's kind of this passage from 1 to verse 7 talking about this, um, this reason for joy, this reason for shouting for joy. It says, starting in verse 5 of Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in Arabi. What is this talking about? Why should we be joyful? Why should we celebrate? It's because Christ Jesus will open the eyes of the blind. He will uh, unstop the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deers. And we have stories in the Old, in the New Testament of Jesus Raising up the lame and leaping with joy because they have been healed, the tongue of the, of the mute will shout for joy at his coming. It even says here in verse four, which kind of helps with us. It says the anxious of heart, those who have drooping hands, will be will be encouraged. The exhausted will be encouraged. The the feeble will be strengthened. Gladness will be given. even uses this imagery throughout this entire chapter of the wilderness and the desert being glad. As if the wilderness and the desert were then bloomed with flowers. You think of the desert, you think of brown, you think of death. But The deadness and the wilderness will be the given blossoms of flowers. This king will cause even the deserts to blossom. And Don't think of it as actual desert, but think of it actually as your actual heart your hearts who are dead to God will be then blossomed and shouting for joy about God. The human heart is a wasteland without God, but with Christ, our hearts are blossomed with gladness. Our hearts are given tranquility. Our hearts are given joy. In Isaiah 40, 11, we see this continue with this promise of a shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend the flock, in his arms he will gather the lambs and carry them in his blossoms. He will gently lead the nursing deer or flock. Christ is a shepherd. In the, in the passage before in verse 10, it talks about how God will have mighty arms, right? He will deliver his people with strength and power. The immediate next verse, it says that Christ, God will be like a shepherd. That God will bring this power and deliverance to bring our salvation, but then he will care for us like we are sheep in his flock. He will gather us. He will carry us. He will gently lead us. He is the good, he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He is one that leads us to, uh, to, uh, to living water, to uh, streams of water that we see in Psalms 29. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. He is our shepherd. He tends to us. He cares for us. He is one who gathers us and carries us and so when we think about our anxieties, when we think about our, our struggles, where do you go for? Where do you go when you're filled with anxiety? Where do you go? Our tendency is to avoid. Our tendency is to go away. Our tendency is to be alone and hide ourselves from the world. Maybe even hide ourselves from God. Do you retreat? Do you run away from God? He is the caring shepherd. Why would you run away from the shepherd? Why would you run away from the one who carries you and holds you tightly to himself, the one full of love? Why would we run away from him? The last passage I want to read is kind of the main passage. Is Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. If you haven't memorized this verse, I want to encourage you to memorize it. Um, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. ...upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden... ...and I will give you rest. What does he say in Isaiah 35, 5-6? He says the lame will walk. The lame will leap with joy. All of these who have struggled... ...and who are, their hearts are weary. Their hearts are dead. Their hearts are like deserts... ...will be blossomed in Christ... The imagery is unbelievable, and, we, and we, we tend to forget all of this when we think about Jesus and the Advent, but if we have trusted in Christ, we have trusted in the King who has come, He will blossom our hearts. He will give us joy, and our hearts will be full of rejoicing. He says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in hearts. I am gentle. We think about the King, right, in, in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, the humbled King, the one endowed with salvation the one whose kingdom is is forever and his dominion is is global, he is the gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest in his kingdom. Outside of his kingdom, you will not find rest, but in his kingdom, you will find rest. And that is the, the great promise that this passage provides for us. It says his yoke is light. His yoke is easy. Because our yokes, the yokes that the law places upon us, and and the way that the the burden and that we experience it, you had to be perfect in everything. The the Pharisees proclaimed this perfection. You had to be perfect in every way. That was the burden. And that's the burden that's placed upon us that if we're trying to earn salvation on our own, outside of Christ, it is burdensome. It will wear you down. You will fail. You will never measure up to that yoke. And Christ says, Take my yoke upon you. I will take yours, right? I will be the righteous king who will die and be the perfect savior and be holy in every way. But I will give you my yoke, the yoke that is of me, the person of Christ. Where there is forgiveness, where there is grace, where there is mercy, where there's never this promise that you have to measure up to some perfect expectation, That is not the yoke that Christ offers. He offers a, a yoke that is light, that is easy. I kind of want to conclude with this. Um, there's, um, I don't know, I don't know if you are a Steve Martin fan, the comedian, but Steve Martin. Uh, I think eventually him and his father did reconcile, but he had a really troubled relationship with his father. His father. Um, so when he would come out with movies, Steve Martin would ask his father if he liked the movie, and his father would always say, well, it's not like this, as if always portraying to his son that he's never good enough and that he will never he will never measure up. And, and there's this, I don't know if, and, and kind of Steve Martin basically said that, you know, fathers that grew up in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, they have these expectations. But, you know, I, I think there's a sense where sons and fathers, we feel like we have to, earn his favor, right? We have to um, be approved by our fathers. And there's a fear that we don't measure up to what our fathers demands. And it's this burden, right? This burden of measuring up to some expectation to be perfect, this feeling that we have to be perfect in every way to earn any type of approval or to be successful in this world. and It's not coming from external. It's coming from internal. We believe we have to do, get an A in every test, get an A in every class, get into every, every great school, get, get the perfect job, raise the perfect family, be the perfect mom, be the perfect dad, make sure you do everything you're supposed to do, And there's this feeling of perfection that we all carry that you will, honestly, you will never measure up to that. You will continue to fail in every way to be the perfect mom, the perfect employee, the perfect boss, the perfect father, the perfect child. You will fail. You will never measure up to people's expectations. You will always fail at that. If you don't believe that, you are lying to yourself. You will never, ever, ever measure up. That is the burden you carry around with you every moment of the day, and you are feeling tired. You are weary, you're full of anxiety, and you do not know how to get out of it. You are trapped in a cage of anxiety, and you don't know how. There's, is, there any, is there any rest? Is there any relief from all of this? And the Bible says there is relief, there is rest, and it's in Christ. That his burden is so easy and so light in comparison to the, to the yoke that the world places upon our shoulders. It's not that there's a sense of expectation where you can do whatever you want in the family of God. It's the opposite of that. But it's this idea that you do not have to be perfect. You are a sinner who needs a Savior, and the Savior has come and says, take my yoke upon you. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you relief. You know, uh, um, Robert told his story, and it's perfect. The sense of burden, right? I have this debt, and I have no means of paying it back. I don't know how to do it. And then God says, I got it. And there's a sense of relief, right? The sense of rest. And when we think about all the sins in our lives, all the mistakes that we've made. I don't care if you're an atheist or agnostic or a Christian. All of us understand, none of us are perfect. All of us make mistakes, all of us have made bad choices. All of us have responded to people in the wrong way. Whatever, whatever degree there is, we've all made mistakes. So none of us in here are perfect. None of us in here are holy and righteous. We're all in the, same, in the same boat in that area. And all of us really need relief. All of us need a savior. All of us need a salvation. All of us need a, a yoke that is far easier, and we need this rest and relief, and it's in Christ Jesus alone. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And when you have been given that rest, when you have been given that relief, you then respond in joy. You respond with a sense of celebration. You respond with a sense of tears of joy because you no longer have to carry that anymore. That's what the shepherds felt. They felt this sense of joy. They celebrated. They rejoiced. And all who came to know Christ in the Bible respond the same way. They respond in joy and rejoicing and celebration and knowing that now they have been reconciled to God. They know that they now have been reconciled and they don't have to earn their own salvation to the law, That they are free to live a life of joy and gladness in Christ Jesus. That is the great story that it promises us today because all of us struggle with anxiety. You need to ask the question, where do I struggle with anxiety? Where do I struggle with this sense of perfectionism? And how can I rest in Christ? Because you will find no rest anywhere else. You will find no rest in success. You will find no rest in your money and your bank account. You will find no rest in everything being perfect and calm in your life. There is no rest there. Only worry, only anxiety. There's only rest and relief in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you.